G'day and welcome to the fourth instalment of the All About Occupation Seminars brought to you by Dr. Rebecca Twinley and the University of Brighton. In this episode, you are going to hear from Dr. Paula Kramer and her topic of occupational disruption in the pandemic, a window into a better understanding of our clients. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories, and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. This is my title, and I think that we've all had a lot of experience with this so I'm not sure how much we've recognized it. So I'm just going to start with a um, a definition of occupation that Ann Wilcock came up with, um, and I really it resonates with me. It's doing, being, belonging, and becoming. And um, occupation brings meaning to our clients. We know that. It's really the heart and soul of our work as occupational therapists. How do we bring meaning to the lives of our clients? Now, there's a beautiful poem that was written by Helen Politico um, that I wanted to share with you because I think it means so much. And she said that occupation is a curious thing. It pervades our lives and marks our days. It defines us and is defined by us. It both shapes the world and is shaped by the world. It can be known by the tools it uses and the wake it leaves in its path. It is intangible and invisible until a person engages in it. It's a performing art. It can only be seen when the person performs it and only understood when the person tells you its meaning. And I do believe that um, this is a very, very personal thing. And that's what we need to get to at the heart with our clients. Now, in the past um, presentation by Dr. Hamill, she talked about the critically important issue of equity in occupation and the inequity that occurs in occupation and in occupational opportunities. And that leads to occupational disruption as well. I agree with that completely, but that's not the approach that I am going to take. I want to look at occupational disruption from another angle. Um, I want us to think about it so that it can help us understand our clients better. Do we really understand what our clients go through when they experience occupational disruption due to illness or injury? I think we do to an extent. But I think that sometimes in the process of intervening and billing and time constraints, we overlook some of the um, important aspects that illness or disabilities um, bring to our clients. Now, I'm going to go back to a very personal time in my life and share that with you. And I hope it doesn't bore you. Um, When I was 12 years old, I was a patient 
having spinal surgery, uh, secondary to scoliosis. And this was back more than, uh, more than 50 years ago. At that time, as my son would say, back in the dark ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth, you had to stay in bed for at least six months, completely flat without any incline. Now they get you up and moving around as soon as possible. But that wasn't the way it was then. I could only roll from side to side. That's all I could do. Now I was 12 when I was going through this, and this was devastating to a preteen girl. Even though I had a few months to think about it and prepare for it, there was no real preparation and no real understanding of what it was going to be like. Overnight, my entire life changed. I couldn't engage in anything that I did before, um, anything that I found meaning in before wasn't there anymore. I couldn't even see my friends because back then, children um, under uh, mid-teens couldn't even come visit in the hospital. So I was very alone. I experienced a great disruption, and that's when I learned about occupational therapy. Occupational therapy changed my life by teaching me that I was still a person who could do many things that I enjoyed without ever sitting up. It was my first introduction to occupational disruption, but I didn't know it at the time. And hopefully we'll be able to go back to this a little bit at the end. Um, so I experienced great disruption, great turmoil, but I didn't know that it was disruption. I think we try to understand our clients um, and sometimes we really do, but I think we can do it better than we're doing it now. I do wanna say and give credit to my friend and colleague, Dr. Wendy Walsh. Um, this this is presentation is based on material that I've developed together with her. Okay, now I want you to stop for a minute. Um, the pandemic really has provided us uh, with an understanding of disruption firsthand. Our personal experiences can help us to be better therapists and give us a greater understanding of our clients. First, I want us to focus on the feeling states that occurred during the pandemic and some of us are still going through this. Various places are in different levels of lockdown. I think the importance of reflecting on your personal experiences during the pandemic will help us work more, more effectively with our clients. So let's focus a little bit on our personal experiences with occupational disruption and how we can use them to become better therapists. So how did you feel during lockdown? Think about it for a few seconds. And how were your own occupations affected by the lockdown? How did it affect? Sometimes we're really good at understanding our clients, but I think that if we can see tap into our own personal experiences, we can even be better. 
and then we can understand a little bit more about what they go through. Here are just a few feelings that were recorded by psychologists and psychiatrists about what people went through during the, um, the pandemic. They felt angry, nervous, constrained, lost, and they felt lost. Depressed, stress, anxiety, isolation, were fearful what would happen, some degree of grief at their normal life being taken away from them, and sometimes even joy that they had some time and quiet to themselves. I'm going to share some of my own personal feelings here. I felt very restricted, very isolated, bored. I lacked movement a lot, being confined to a smaller apartment. I was tired. I slept more than usual. I was angry and I was sad. And I, I have to tell you, my husband laughed at me because at one point, um, a zoo near us had a jack-o'-lantern experience where they had um, artists carve jack-o'-lanterns around Halloween time. And what they did was invite you to come, and you paid for this, by the way, in your car and drive through and see all the jack-o'-lanterns there. Um, and I said, we have to go see this. And he said, why? You've never been interested in that sort of thing. It was a way of getting out of the house. It was a way of being social and seeing something different than the four walls and the few blocks I walk with my dog every day. Some of the resultant effects of my own feelings at that time were I couldn't do everything I wanted to do. I was irritable. I found a need to develop a whole new schedule for my life. I found myself forgetting what day it was. And I have to tell you a funny story. I went out with my dog one day and we were walking near a bicycle shop that had a big sign on the door. It said closed on Monday. And a woman came to go to the shop and she looked at me and said, oh, it's closed Monday. I didn't realize that. I said, it's not Monday, it's Wednesday. And she said, oh, then I guess I can go in, they're open. And then I came home and realized it was really Thursday. So everybody was totally confused. You know, when you're not looking at your schedule and your screen every day, you don't necessarily know what time it is, what day it is. Um, I had to figure out new ways to come in contact with friends. So I was doing Zoom calls while everybody who was still working, and I'm retired, while everybody was still working was trying to avoid Zoom calls. I was setting up Zoom calls so I could see my friends. I was kind of feeling at loose ends, like what is my purpose? Um, where am I? What am I doing? I needed to revise my daily occupations. I found myself resorting to former occupations, the kinds of crafts that I used to do all the time. I found that I had disrupted sleep. I started cooking more. I started baking and sharing it with, I have, a, I'm in a small building and I was sharing this with many of my 
um, my neighbors. I was bringing them baked goods. I was knitting and crocheting again, which I hadn't done in years. I had to start exercising via video because I was gaining weight from all this cooking. And I was doing increased shopping online, much to the dismay of my husband. Um, some of these were were adaptations. Some of them were not like uh, exercising on video was an adaptation. Um, shopping online was an adaptation, but um, we as occupational therapists naturally make some changes. We are adaptable. We make these changes very easily. Um, but I don't think that our clients do. They need help with that. All they see is what they can't do. And we have to help them through that. I'm going to tell you some responses from a friend of mine, therapist who's a physical therapist and um, his he works as an in an outpatient setting. They continued to work throughout that, but they each had much less hours. Their employer let nobody go and kept up their benefits. Um, he said, I continued to work, but with less hours. And I spent some of my leisure time at home and fishing. He said, I didn't look for part-time work because I didn't think I needed it. I still had my salary, even though it was reduced, and my benefits. I felt very lonely, and there was only so much fishing I could do. He said, looking back on it now, in retrospect, I think I should have sought out some part-time work because I would have been happier because I might have been engaged more with people. So I think that that's an important thing. Now combine all of these feelings that we've identified at this point with a loss of ability. And that's really what occupational disruption is. And then maybe even having very few resources to uh, deal with and adapt, adapt to the loss in meaningful occupations. We really need to, um, this is the point where we come in usually as therapists, and we really need to use our own personal reflections to gain a better understanding of our clients. Now, I want to give you, um, I, I skipped a slide here, but this is our own desire. We, we have to become really client-centered, understand the client, and then focus on what are their desired occupations. That's what's most important. And I, I want to share with you um, a quote. It's not a quote, a paraphrase from my dear friend Jim Hinojosa and Marie Louise Blunt. And it's about why we have to talk to our clients. We have to our, remember that our clients may not actively think about the importance of activities that they engage in on a daily basis until they're not able to do them anymore. We take so much for granted on a daily basis and we don't think about how engaged we are with them. 
how much those occupations mean to us. Now, we need to talk with our clients and really engage with them. And I think the experienced practitioner can do this very easily. I think the newer students, younger students, very often need to find a way that they can relate to the person that they're treating. And it may take a little bit longer for them. Whitney and Walsh conceptualized occupation as four, in four ways. Those occupations that are necessary. Like eating, sleeping, grooming, personal hygiene, those are necessary occupations. There are contracted occupations, your paid work, your education. Um, for children, it would be going to school. Your committed occupations like housework um, or things or cooking or something like that. And then the leisure, your free time. Each of these occupations can be disrupted at any time in any times of chaos. Um, certainly during war times, uh, during floods, during fires. I think all of the different countries have experienced all kinds of different chaotic times of recent date. But this is what we're experiencing right now with and, and during the past year in particular with COVID-19. So um, we, we need to think about that now. I, again, he, I don't know if you experienced this in um, the places where you're living or in Britain, we have experienced the fact that um, much of our supply chain has been disrupted. For example, for a long time, you couldn't find paper goods in the supermarket, like paper towels or cleaning products, because there was a big run on them. Or even now, with the idea of um, microchips, so that we can't get new cars, and cars are selling at a high premium. It's disrupted every aspect of our lives, even though we don't think about that. Now think back to your clients who have occupational disruption due to an illness or injury. First thing that we have to do is talk to the client and listen. And I highlighted listen for a reason listen to what they're telling you listen to what they're telling you is Im important to them help them analyze their feelings about their occupational disruptions what are they missing that's most important to them it may not be what you think should be most important to them but you have to focus on what is most important to them I would think about those four types of occupation that are described by Whitney and Walsh um, so that you can help them categorize things in terms of some of the importance. Definitely be client-centered and help them figure out what's most important to them as a person and prioritize your interventions based on their personal views not on what you think is important, but what they think is important. Now educate them on what occupational therapy can provide 
and also what it can't provide. You can't move mountains, we know that. And we do have limitations to um, what we can do. Now, education is important to clients, particularly when you're dealing with parents of children. Um, I started out as a pediatric therapist and I worked in early intervention. And one day I worked went to see a client and was evaluating their child who was six, six, seven months or so and couldn't even roll over yet. And I asked the mother what she wanted for her little girl. And she said, I want her to be able to walk by spring. Well, I was hopeful that her little girl would sit up by spring. Um, but she explained that in the neighborhood they lived with in Everyone got together at a certain place and all the kids were playing. And if the child couldn't walk at that time, it would be hard for her to engage. And I had to accept what she's saying, tell her I understood where she was coming from, but also explain to her the developmental milestones and what comes first and next and next in the chain and how we had to hit all of those other things before we got to walking. And that if we were successful with the earlier stages, then we might be able to get to walking, but that spring might not be the optimal time for that. And that education was important so that she could know what I could do and what I couldn't do in terms of that. And we have to be well aware of that. Let the client's desires lead whenever possible. You may want them to be able to put on their clothes by themselves. They may want to cook a meal by themselves. So if possible, listen to what they want first and then get into some of the areas that you might want. And then be aware to educate them where their desires may not be possible at this time. So I'm going to take you back now to my own personal experience with disability when I was an adolescent. As I told you, I was sad. I was bored. I was lonely. I didn't feel capable and I didn't view myself as a full person. The occupational therapist had a pos very positive response. She asked me a lot of questions. She wanted to know what was most important to me and what hobbies I engaged in. Um, now, I don't know if you have this in the UK, but in the United States, we have something called an occupational profile, which helps you um, interview the client and identify what is specifically important to them. And this was way before there was an occupational profile, but what she did was identify what my hobbies were. And then she tailored an intervention to design, designed to meet my feelings that were previously stated, along with interventions to meet my physical need. So we have to really blend the um, psychosocial aspect of occupational therapy and the client's mental health with the physical health. 
Now, before we get to our personal feelings, I'm going to go back a bit and I'm going to tell you what she did. Um, she listened to me about all the hobbies I had and she taught me how to knit and crochet while lying down. She taught me how to cook again while lying down. She taught me that I was still a person, even if I could not get out of bed. She also negotiated with the hospital and my family to have friends come in periodically for a pizza party. So I didn't feel so isolated. Now this was way before the time of cell phones, so I couldn't just pick it up and pick up a phone or a computer and call them up. So about once every three weeks or so, we just ordered in pizza and the kids were allowed to come in even though it was against hospital policy generally. But the OT made that happen. And that was very important to me. Now take a step back. We need to use our own personal experiences during this pandemic and our feelings to become more effective with our clients. They are experiencing all the time what we have just experienced with the past in the past year or so. Again, we need to focus on the mental health responses that are tied to the physical disabilities that we may be seeing. We need to become truly client-centered and be responsive to the client's desires and needs. Think about your own clients, your client's mental health as well as their physical status. I hope that this was helpful to you. I thank you for your attention and um, I'm very open to having some questions. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.